Good, good morning. Nice to see you all. Thank you for joining us today. A special thank you to all of anyone new that we have, either here or online. Uh, the purpose of our church, our Share Community Church, is a gathered group of Christians who exist to give creative and meaningful worship to God and to discover and develop disciples of Jesus Christ. We strive to love God and love others fervently. Uh, today is a day to drop off shoe boxes. If you have prepared any of those, um, there are, I think, a few more drop off dates. Please check those at the desk to your left as you leave uh, at the end of the service today if you're interested. Uh, oh, the 21st. 21st is the last day, so you've got one more week. Children's ministry downstairs is still looking for a few people to teach Sunday school, and then as well as a couple more folks for the nursery. So if you have time and feel like you'd like to help in that way, um, check the bulletin for contact information. And then last week was the congregational vote on the three motions that have been brought up in the past a uh, few weeks. All three of those passed. There was the budget, the transfer of funds, and then finally the service times. Um, you should have gotten one of those sheets at the door. If you didn't, grab one on your way out with a summary of everything. And then Carrie, I think you're going to say a few things for us. In just one day, your life can change. I'm sound asleep. Suddenly, police are pounding on the front door. I hold tight to my big sister, Maya, while they pull me away from my screaming mom. Phone calls are made. Then I hear the saddest words ever. No one will take in a teenager. So they split us up. They take Maya to a group home, but I can't go with her. I'm all alone in my first foster home. The food is gross, I hate my new school, and I miss Maya. I've lost everything. No one understands me. I'm mad all the time, and I get in fights at school. So I moved to another foster home. Now I'm far away from Maya and my mom. I just want my family back, so I'm not alone. The second family can't handle my sadness, so I move again. I'm scared, ready to give up, feeling so alone. Will things ever get better? In just one day, your life can change. The Williams family says words I haven't heard before. Gabe, we won't give up on you. We're in this together. So I test them out. Even when I run away, they welcome me back. I think they really mean it. I really love their friends from church. They hang out and pray for us. Even praying my family will get back together. Mrs. Josie's mac and cheese is so good. It tastes like the food we have at home. Mr. David helps me with fourth grade math. And Mr. Joe is helping me with my pitching so I can make the baseball team. Our church team even got us bed so we could go home next week. I feel torn inside. I feel safe here, but ooh, I can't wait to be back home with Mom and Maya. But guess what? Our church friends are coming too to help us stay together. 
So today is a day um, called Stand Sunday, um, a day in which churches around the globe are reflecting God's heart for vulnerable children and families. And our church is already involved in the movement to care for vulnerable um, children and the families that support them through a ministry called WCCK, which are Community Cares for Kids. We currently have volunteers that form a community of, sport, of support around four families in our church. The volunteers provide monthly meals, um, prayer support, and some provide additional or occasional childcare and mentoring for the children. Now we have the opportunity to reach out to more foster families in the community to provide the same care um, for them during what can be a challenging journey. Would you consider joining us in wrapping around families that are opening up their heart, hearts and their homes to children from hard places? When you came in this morning, you were given a flyer that says, I stand for fam. If you weren't, if the ushers could give those out, raise your hands if you didn't get one. I want to make sure everybody gets one. Thank you. There are over 400,000 children in the United States foster care system. That's a lot. And it's growing every day. There are so many more at-risk children that could be moving into that same system. Um, we would like to offer you the opportunity to come join this ministry. Come stand around a foster care family. Come love them. Come be blessed. That's the best way I can put it, is just to be blessed. We are going to have a volunteer orientation next Sunday. And if you are interested in all in learning more about this ministry, or if you have any questions, would you please either, you can scan the code that's on here, or you can fill out the bottom of it with your name, your email, and your um, phone number. And Carrie and I are going to be back at the Welcome Center after the service. Stop in and, and give us your form, or just stop in and ask us the questions. We'd love to talk with you. We can't all foster. We know that, but we can all do something. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. And then if the ushers would be willing to come up now, we'll bow our heads. Dear Lord, thank you for um, this day that you've blessed us with. Um, the changing of the weather, the changing of the seasons, and the variety that you've given us. Lord, thank you for this group of people here to get here today to worship you, gathered here to worship you. Uh, please bless the the gifts that they give to your your mission here, and um, may we use them wisely. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Uh, before before I get into the message, uh, which is which is fine too, is um. So we completed First Peter chapter 4 uh, last week, and we're going to have some in-between sermons, and then we'll go into Advent, and so we'll have some sermons about the first coming of Christ all through the uh, December, and then we will get back to First Peter chapter 5, January 2023. So we'll be back to our study in that. Somebody asked me, Pastor, is this a, is this a sermon you've done before? And I had to look back and said, oh, yeah, this is a sermon I've done before about five years ago. Five years ago, I, and as I was going through it, I was fine-tuning it because um, if, if I do something that I've done before, um, there's a reason behind it. 
Um, it's, it's, it's something that needs to be said like over and over and over and over again. And so that's why I picked out this sermon or series of sermons uh, called, you know, am I a church member biblically? Am I a church member biblically? If I can get my slides up here. Computer's frozen. Okay. Woo! I, I want to talk about this subject because um, there, even in our own church constitution, there's an A and a B when it talks about membership. A is that we acknowledge that those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, He is their Master, Savior, and Lord. We, we acknowledge that, that those people are part of God's universal church, part of the universal church of God, the family of God. Underneath that is a B, and the B says, okay, in our local fellowship, in our local fellowship, what does membership look like? Underneath that, that is the base or, 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 or umbrella, and what's underneath that, that's, that's our B. I really want to look at A this morning. We, we, uh, when I did this sermon, we handed out this little tiny book that Tom Rayner wrote, it says, I'm a church member. It's a little tiny book, real thin little book, and we hand it out to everybody in the church. Everybody in the church read it, um, and we all focused in on our Sunday nights talking about this. I took my little book, and I changed the title. I did some little arrows, and I changed it to a question. I, I changed it to, am I a church member? And then I put a comma, and then I said, am I a church member biblically? Am I a church member biblically? When I look at being a part of God's family, am I a part of God's family? Am I truly, by the Bible, am I a part of God's family? And that's what was the drive behind this series. And, and we have to look at it and go, you know, sometimes words in our culture um, get watered down, or there's many other things that are tied to that word. And I think member is like that when we talk about being a church member or a member of God's family. We have to kind of decipher through that and say, what does that mean? What does that word mean? Because, I mean, you've got a membership at Costco, right? Yeah, yeah, you've got a member at Costco. You're a member of the PTA. Remember what the PTA was? Parent Teacher Association? Yeah, you're a member of that. You're a member of the Elks Club. You're a member of, you're a member, you're a member. Does that, is that the same definition? that we use when we talk about being a part of God's family. And I want to show you that sometimes that word, maybe, maybe there's a better word than that today that we use because as you look in the scriptures, you realize it is so much more than that. It's so much more than that. So I want us to go to Romans chapter 9. I'm going to bounce this around a little bit this morning. And we're going to first just look at that word or that association that we have within the family of God, within the family of God. So Romans chapter 9 and verse 8. And you'll start to see where the Bible takes us when it talks about our connectiveness together. If it's connectedness across the globe, or if it's our connectedness within this local body of believers. So Romans chapter 9 verse 8 says, that is the children of the flesh are not the children of God. Now, I stop right there. 
The children of the flesh are not the children of God. You'll hear heard the statement many times, we're all God's children. That's not what the Bible says. We are not all God's children in a saving way. We are creations. We are all creations of God, but we are not all children of God. Because he didn't he distinguished here there are children of the flesh and there are children of God. But the children of the promise, the children of God, are considered as seed. But I want you to see there that when he talks about some type of connection, he uses family terms. He uses family terms. He uses children. They're they're biologically associated. Most of them are biologically associated with us. Now let me go to another one. First John. You'll see a pattern here. First John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. 1 and 2. First John 3, 1 and 2. It says, see how great a love the Father. The Father. So there's another family, family term. The Father has given to us that we would be called that we would be called the children of God. So now you got a father and children, and we are, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. So again, we are not all children of God because some of these children don't know who God is. He goes on, beloved, now we are children of God, and it is not have been manifested as yet what we will be, We will know that when he is manifested, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. If we go back to the last couple Sundays, we had this age and the age to come. And that's what John is saying there. There will be a day when we will see him as he is, as he is. But again, just that whole idea, he's using these terms that when he talks about being a part of this family of God, he uses family, family terms. I'm going to make you go back to Romans. Romans chapter 8. Oh, I'm back up here. All right. Romans chapter 8 and starting at verse 14. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. It says, For as many as are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Again, using a a family term. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption. There's another family term, that you have been adopted into this family. You have been been chosen. You have been provided for to be in this family. Adoption as sons. And if you've ever walked through that adoption process, and and that's a wonderful um, uh, thing to be at sometimes in in the judge's chamber when the the judge does this and, and speaks to the uh, the parents and says, you know, you what you're doing at this time is you are giving them full rights to the name. You are making them sons and daughters of you. They're sons whom you cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. There's a spirit testifying that you're a child of God. And if children, then he goes a little bit farther. He says, also heirs, also heirs. I mean, so this this connection into the family of God continues on. There's an inheritance that comes from it. And fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we also may be glorified with him. Again, remember, suffering is in this age. Glory is in the age to come. Glory is in the age to come. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. 
I know I'm really beating this drum here, but I want us to see that when we talk about membership, it is so much more than a Costco membership. It's so much more than that. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11. This is where Paul says he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now he even brings it down even farther, and he talks about our connectiveness being like one body, like parts of the body connected together until we all attain the unity of the faith and the full knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So we are no longer to be children, here's one set of children, tossed here and there by the ways and carried by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Here's the other set of children, but speaking the truth in love, we grow up in all aspects into him who is the head that is Christ. So now you're not only like individual parts of one body, but the head of this body that we are a part of is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body being joined and held together by every joint supplies, according to the proper measuring, working each individual part causes growth of the body for the building of up of itself in love. So these parts of the body that you are a part of have a specific purpose for you being a part of this body, a specific purpose, and it is to the benefit of the other parts of the body. That's how connected you are. You ever have a person, um, you know, that you feel this more in a small church. In a small church, if someone, well, if they leave for some reason, or there's a death in a small church, man, you feel it. You really feel it because there's such a closeness in that small church, you know everybody in that church, and you you actually feel it when they're not there anymore, kind of thing. Why? Because you're connected with one another on a very deep level. Okay, Galatians 4. This is the last one on this. So Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 4. Galatians chapter 4, starting with verse 4. It says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. There, we just sang John 3.16. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. Here's another aspect of this membership or being a part of the family of God. It's those who have been redeemed, those who have been redeemed under the law, that we might receive the adoption. There's that family term again, adoption as sons, And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Okay, I just went through all of those to help us to realize that when we talk about member, being a part of a member of God's family, universally, being a member, even locally within a church, We're talking about something that's much more than a Costco membership or a member of the PTA or a a member of the Elks Club or something like that. No, we're talking in family terms when we talk about membership. Not only are we talking about family terms where we might call each other brother and sister uh, in the church. I grew up in a tradition that was like that. It was always brother so-and-so, brother so-and-so kind of thing. Not only that, but we see ourselves even interconnected together. 
Some of you are hands. Some of you are elbows. You know, some we are all connected together that way. So, now I'm back to come all you weary. Woo! I'm not sure what's going on, but that's okay. The next thing on your sheet is, is uh, your faith is personal. You can't, this doesn't come from somebody else in the sense of some other human. Your faith is personal, but it's not fully private. Because being a part of the family of God requires faith, a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that faith, and that's personal, but it's not fully private. There's a public aspect to your personal faith. There's a very public aspect of your personal faith. So being a part of God's family, let's just look at three of them here. Baptism. Baptism is very public. Baptism is when you say, I have repented. And you're gathered with other believers and you're, you're down at the pond, you're, you're somewhere and you say, I have repented. I have turned. I am fo- seeking to walk in the steps of my Lord and Savior the rest of my life. And I'm making a public statement to all of you. And I'm actually making myself accountable to all of you that I continue to walk in this way. It's a very public statement, very public statement. Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper, we're saying, I am remembering. I am remembering. And so we pass out the bread and the cup. And, and you say, this bread represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he came, that he came. I'm remembering that he came. And the blood, the cup represents the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed on the cross for the remission of sin, that we might escape the wrath of God. And, and I'm remembering, I'm remembering why he came. He came, why he came, why he came, and that this one that came said he is what? Coming again, coming again. So, and we do that in public. We do that, we gather up and we do that in public. Uh, and you say, I'm remembering. Here's one more, the gathering. The gathering, just our gathering this morning. In the, in the Bible, the Greek word for church means you, you are mo- coming out from your houses into a place where you're assembling together. Okay, that's what the, the general Greek word means. So that could mean anything. That could, you know, there's a lot of reasons people come out of their houses and go to a certain spot and gather together, but we do it to lift up the name of Christ. And so it's a very public thing that we do. So your, your faith is personal, but not fully private. It's, there's public aspects of it. And I'm always amazed at how many people know that you go to church. It's amazing how many people know you if you go to church, especially if you're in a subdivision or something like that. People are watching. Oh, they, they probably know every time your garage door goes up and down, and especially on Sunday morning, and that you leave at a certain time and you come home at a certain time. And if you probably were to ask them, where is so-and-so? Oh, they went to church. Because they do. They, they watch and they see what goes on in your life. It's a public part of your faith. So it's not private. It's public. Let's go to the, am I in control here again? Now, I, I put this slide up here because this is me. You may have been raised among a church body surrounded by them, and even saturated by their presence. Okay, that's me. That's me. That's me. I've been in church my whole life. My whole life. I used to get those perfect attendance pins as a kid every single Sunday. My parents wouldn't, would go on vacation, but it was always within driving distance to be back to church on Sunday morning. Okay? 
I was in church every single... Now, all I'm going to explain to you, too, I do not disparage this one iota. One iota. So my, my mom was a Sunday school teacher. My dad was a Sunday school teacher. Sometimes they were Sunday school superintendents. My mom was a Sunday school treasurer. Uh, after every service, we went to Sunday school. Then we went to worship service. Then my mom would have people home and we would have missionaries in our house. We would have the pastor and his wife in our house. We'd have meals together. And then a few hours later, what would we do? We'd go right back to church again because we had Sunday night service. And at Sunday night service, that's where I learned how to flip through my Bible so fast because we do sword drills and, and things like that. So I was at Sunday night service. I, I never watched Walt Disney. Walt Disney was on Sunday night. There one time we had an ice storm. And I think that's the only time I can remember never going to church was that one ice storm kind of thing. But, but then on Wednesday night, what did we do? We were in church. I was prayer meeting. Yeah, little kids, kneel down, pray. I did all that. Then fall and spring and fall, we would have revival services that would go for two to three weeks. And every single night, every single night, I need to explain to you that I grew up outside of a town that was 182 people. And the, ch- the church was in a town of 150. You had to go 30, 40 miles to get to any type of town to do anything. So if there was anything happening in that little tiny area, where was it happening? At the church. The church was my whole life, my whole life. In the summertime, they would have camp meetings all over the place in barns and, and, and everything. Every single night I was there. I say all of that, not disparaging whatsoever, but I was saturated by the body of Christ. But there needs to be an owning, a clinging to, to Jesus Christ. Even though I was saturated, even though I was surrounded by it, even though I was surrounded by it in a good way, you know, not, not everybody has that kind of a story or even that kind of an outcome to the story. But even though I, it was a good thing, I look at it as a tremendously good thing. There has to be an owning, a clinging to Jesus Christ. There has to be a time when, when you realize he is saying to you, but who do you say that I am? You know, he said that to the disciples. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So there needs to be an owning, a clinging of yourself that he is the Christ. He is the Lord. He's Lord of my life. He's the son of the living God. That's who he is. Which leads me to this number one. There's three points here. Number one, I've made a self-conscious commitment to Christ. If you're part of God's universal family, universal family, you've made a self-conscious commitment to Jesus Christ. He is your Lord and your Savior. He is who he says he is in the word of God. So I, I, this is just one of them. There are many places you could flip to, but Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, where we have descriptions about Jesus and his position in our life. This is just one of them, who Christ is. It says there, verse 8, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So here is one that was sent. He was a man. He came and he died on a cross. He was obedient to God's plan, redemptive plan. He died on the cross, even death on the cross. And the outcome of that, the outcome of that, therefore God will also highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above, and I love this, every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Glory of God the Father. If you're a part of God's family, biblically, He is Lord of your life. He is Lord of your life. My response to His response. My response to His response. Romans chapter 12. You may This will be a familiar verse. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Paul says, therefore I exhort you, brothers, there's that connection again with one another, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a sacrifice. See, he sacrificed himself that you might be a part of the family of God. What's my response to his response? I present myself as a sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? Living, holy, and pleasing to God which is your spiritual service of worship. Because he is Lord of my life, my life now is a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And, I, and, and everything about my life is pointing to him. It's all out worship of him, not just on a Sunday morning, but every day of the week, everything that I am included in and part of is a worship of my God of this sacrifice. It goes on in verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world. So at one time we were conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is some, there's a self-conscious commitment to Christ. There's a renewing of our mind, a mind that you may approve what the will of God is, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I have turned because I see him and my eyes have been opened that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah. I am no different than the the thief on the cross who turns and looks at Jesus and realizes the one on the middle cross that's hanging there just like I am holds, holds my destiny in his hand. Holds my destiny in his hand. So I've made a self-commitment to Christ. Um, The second one, I need to love God and love others. I need to love God and love others. If I am a part of God's family, I need to love God and love others. You know, Jesus was asked that, um, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And, and Jesus responded. He went back to Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. And they said, and, and onto that, love your neighbor as yourself. So he said, love. And there's all kinds of songs for love. I'm tempted. Love, love, love. Yeah, Um, and and we read this one, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is a great chapter. Lots of times we call it the chapter of love. But chapter 13, let me go back through that, starting at verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind. It's not jealous, does not brag, is not puffed up, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then the first part of verse 8, love never fails. Many times you've probably heard that. Many times, maybe somebody has said, put your name in the, in the place of love. So Adam is patient. Adam is kind. Adam is not jealous. Adam does not brag. Adam is not puffed up. You get really convicted at this point. And Stephanie's almost raising her hand down here uh, as I go through that. Yeah. Lots of times you hear this at a what? A wedding, at a wedding, at a wedding. But you step back and say, where was Paul speaking this? 
he was speaking it to church members. And the church in Corinth that was really messed up. And he's saying, church members, this is what we are to be like around one another. This is how we are to treat one another. This is what we are to look like. So, you know, um, what's love got to do with it? Got to do with it. Got to do with it. It's a secondhand emotion. But anyways, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, go to the verse 1. This is really interesting. Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, that would be spectacular. That would be phenomenal. That would be very flashy. You could draw in a crowd with something as spectacular as that. Okay? He goes on to say, but I do not have love. I've become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Clang, 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 clang. Okay? He goes on to a second one. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mystery and all knowledge, stop right there. So I've got all the answers. I've got all the right answers. You can draw a crowd with that. If you tell people you've got all the answers, all the right answers, people will flock to that. Then he gives you another one. And if I have all faith as so as to remove mountains, here's another way to draw in a crowd, is if you have a very charismatic leader who who does have this kind of faith, I mean, man, you just file in right behind him. You're like, I'm going where he's going kind of thing. Man, he's got such confidence in what we're going to do and everything. And yeah, you can draw a whole crowd in around that, around a charismatic type of leader who has great faith. But he goes on to say, but do not have love. I have not, you have nothing. I have nothing. Then he goes to another one, verse 3. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, you can draw another crowd again. Because, wow, that church does this, that church does that. That church is just reaching out into the community. It's do, and, and Which we should, which we should. But you can draw a whole crowd around that. Wow, I want to be a part of something like that, you know, kind of thing. Then he gives one more. He gives one more. He says, and I surrender my body to be burned. So meaning he, someone who's willing to be a martyr. And you can draw another whole crowd around that. People are looking for people who have strong convictions. People are looking for people who stand on what they say. And, and, they, and they will file up and come behind someone who says those kind of things. See, there's five different things here that will draw a crowd. The familiar thing, though, is when he says, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. It profits me nothing. So what's the big deal about love? It's a big deal. Chapter 14, verse 1, the first part, he just starts it off by saying, pursue love. Be in the pursuit of this kind of love within the body of Christ. So we go back to Jesus. We always want to go to some Jesus words here. John 13, when he's speaking to his disciples, 34 and 35. Jesus says to them, a new commandment I give you, that you are to love one another. Now, that's not the new commandment. They've heard that before. That's in the Old Testament. But this is the new part, even as I have loved you. So what Jesus is saying, I am the definition of love. That's what Jesus is saying. When you think of love, my, I come up. Because you're, you're going to define love now by Jesus Christ. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. 
By this, they will all, all will know that you are my disciples. I'm going to stop right there because of the, the robes you're wearing. They're all going to know you're my disciples because of the cross necklace you have on. You all have the same one. They all know that you're my disciples because you've got bumper stickers now, fish bumper stickers on your camels now. And they all see that. Now I'm being facetious, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. They'll know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how they'll know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. As a member of God's family, I am known for my striving to love God and love others. Now, many churches can be known for their music. Many churches can be known for their structure. You know, I'll pick on one, the Crystal Cathedral. Yeah, you're just, it's a structure, right? It's a structure. Many churches are known for their programs. Many churches are known for the coffee and donuts. Hint, hint, hint. Um, many churches are known for their phenomenal pastor. Many churches are known for their status in the community. Many churches are known for their social activities. Many churches sometimes negatively are known for their cliques. But wouldn't it be so much better if we were known for our love for God and our love for others? If the response from anyone on the outside is, well, well, we don't really know much about them, but we do know that they love their God and they love others. That's part of being a part of God's universal, universal family. Let's go to number three. Number three, I need to examine myself according to God's word. I need to examine myself according to God's word. If I'm part of God's family, I'm going to examine myself according to God's word. We can so easily self-deceive ourselves. We can so easily pat ourselves on the back. And we have to stop that and say, wait a minute, let's go to God's word. This is just one example of that, of pointing this out in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus is speaking to the churches, the seven churches. He gets to the church of Laodicea in verse chapter 3, verse 17. And this is just showing the wording here. Because you say. He starts off by saying, because you say, this is your assessment of yourself. This is you patting yourself on the back. You say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. That's what you say. That's how you see yourself. You're patting yourself on the back. That's what you say. Then he says, and you do not know that you are. Here comes the examination from the Christ. The examination from the Christ, he says, you are wretched pitiful, uh, and poor, and blind, and naked. Who do, we, who do we listen to? What we say or what he says? See, that's part of being a part of God's family, is that we realize that his words are more important than our words. And we need to evaluate, our, examine ourselves according to his words. So let me go to a couple here, uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 5 and 6. And I talked about how quick I could flip my Bible on here. Look at me. Blah. And I'm not even in 2 Corinthians. <laughs> wow. See, see where pride gets you? That's an example right there in front of your eyes. Paul says this, and I'm, I'm going to count these out for you. So 2 
2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, test yourself. So there's the first time he says it. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. And then he says, examine yourself. So there's, again, you are evaluating. Examine yourself, number two. Or do you not recognize, there's the third time that you're, you're going through a process to try to recognize, recognize about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you indeed have failed the test. There's the fourth time. Go to verse six. But I hope that you will realize, he, again, you're evaluating, realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. So Paul is just saying, this is a part of being a part of the family of God, is that we evaluate ourselves according to his word. Let me give you just one of them. There's many of these. Lots of times they come in light of, um, in light of lists. So in Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 19, we've got a list. And he gives us a list to go look down through the list. So he says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. He says, these are, these are, there's no doubt about these. These are evident. They, that when I mention them, you're going to shake your head, go, yep, yep, okay, understand. And he takes a big breath, and he says, which are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealous, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, and drunkenness, carousing. And he takes another breath. <laughs> and he says, and then he ends it with, and things like these. There's more. That's basically what he's saying there. There's more. I could list a whole bunch more. There's more of which I forewarn you. So I'm warning you ahead of time. I'm listing these out ahead of time so that you can see them in black and white, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things, those who, who live in this stream, who do these things, and these things are a master of their life, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he gives a but, a big but, but here's another list. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's no need for a law if that is what's governing your life. And he, he's just saying, evaluate yourself. Which, which list? Which list are you going toward? Which list are you, which one? And so as Christians, we have to ask ourselves at times when we're looking at the Scriptures, are we excusing ourselves? Or are we truly examining ourselves according to the Scriptures? Are we rationalizing our behavior? Or when we come to Scripture it, it, and, and it convicts us, are we recommitting to what God's Word has said? What are we doing there? So let's go to the premier one, 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 14. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. It says, we know that we've passed from death into life. That means he's talking about that we've passed from spiritual death into spiritual life. We've been born again. How? Because we love the brothers. That's, that's one of, the, you're, you're going to see that. You're going you're gonna to love the brothers. The one who does not love abides in death. So if, if you say you've went from spiritual death into spiritual life, but you don't love the brothers, the Apostle John would say, I think you're still abiding in death. I think you're still spiritually dead. Now, he goes on in chapter 14, starting at verse 19. 
to explain it a little bit more, we love because he first loved us. I mean, the ability that we have to love others is because he has shown us that he is love and he has loved us. If someone says, so he gives an example, I love God but hates his brother, what does John say? He is a liar. Woo, man, that's pretty strong. But he wants us to see how connected that is together. That if I say I love God, I am to love the brothers. I am to love the brothers. And if I don't love the brothers, then then John just says it. You're a liar. For if someone, if one who does not love his brother whom he has seen, he's right there. He's right there. I can see him. I can see him. Cannot love God who he's not seen. Wait a minute. You're saying you love a God that you have never seen, but and and you say that you love God, but you see one of his creations right there that you can see, but you don't love him. He goes on to say, in this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God, and if you're going to be a part of God's family, what do you got to do? You got to love God, should love his brother also. That's the outcropping of that love, is a love for the brothers. So, um, let me, so as a child, as a child in the family of God, I continue to examine myself according to his word. Now, I got more points in this. I'm just giving you three this morning, four, five, and six coming next week. But we can really get messed up churches when, because see, we're talking about the universal church, but that comes now down to the local church. We can have really messed up churches when churches stress family association without salvation. Without salvation. You know, I do all these interviews with people, and they'll say, yeah, I've been a member here a long time, and da-da-da-da-da, and and everything else, and I'll say, well, that's, that's free reign for me because I know I associate membership with being a child of God to say, tell me about your relationship with Jesus Christ. What's God been doing in your life? What, what have you been reading from the scripture? And sometimes I'll get blank stared. And they'll, maybe they'll say, well, I've always went here. And I'm not looking for a date or a time, but I'm looking for someone whose eyes light up. They light up and they say, yeah. This is the most, God has been transforming my life. It was the greatest decision I've ever made in my life. And he's working in my life. That's what I'm, and if you have a church that is full of members who are not saved, boy, you can get a pretty messed up church. Um, churches treat other, treat loving God and loving others as optional. You can get a really messed up church. Especially when, when we do that, um, uh, with one another. That can happen directly and indirectly. Directly, that we actually can say very hurtful things to one another. We can do it. And sometimes we do. But, but if love, if we see that love is, is, is not optional, even in that scenario, in that situation, we will go back and have the word of God examine us and therefore do the right thing, even if we have fallen. Okay, that's directly. Indirectly, we do it. Indirectly, we do it by many times. We don't when when a brother or sister uh, is stepping away from what God has said to do in his scriptures. And 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 sometimes we don't address that indirectly. We don't address that. We don't show love to that member of the church. And therefore, we sweep that under the rug. And more we'll say it's their personality or the way they were raised or we'll do all that kind of stuff but that will come out from underneath the rug. It will. 
at the most opportune time. Or to use another illustration, there's an elephant in the room. Yeah, what do you have to do if there's an elephant in the room? You have to walk around the elephant. You also have to feed the elephant. And elephants eat how much? A lot. If elephants eat a lot, what are they eventually going to do? Yeah, yeah. And so you either have to clean up after the elephant or what happens in the room? It starts to what? Smell. Stink. You can say it. Woo! Yeah. So sometimes you can have a really messed up church because we have not, we have not, we've used God's love as kind of optional with one another. Third one, churches toss aside or twist the position on God's word. They, they instead of going to God's word and saying God's word is going to guide us, you know, which way we should go? Which way is the wind blowing? What's popular? What's, what's, what are the polls saying, if you want to, last week? What are the polls saying? We need to realize that we need to be a church that is a church that holds to God's word. So worship team, come on up. I know I've, I've way too long. Churches that stresses family association um, about, without salvation. We should be a church that has many people that sing redeemed and so happy in Jesus, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Um, we should be a church that, that loves God and loves others with I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. Or, or I love you with the love of the Lord. Yes, I love you with the love of the Lord. Or the third one, we don't toss aside God's word. No, uh, spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. And that writer then gave us a whole bunch of fours. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Cleanse me, teach me, hold me, reach me, shield me, free me, call me, lead me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. As I said, this is just three of many. But I want us to realize that, wait a minute, I, mean, I need to ask myself, first off, am I a part of God's universal family? And then, then that affects us here on the local level. Aaron, thank you. Good morning, brothers and sisters in the Universal Church of God. I would like to ask that everyone who loves God please stand <laughs> or raise their hand. Or raise their hand if you're sitting. There we go. Or both. <laughs> now let me remind you that you've said that and declared that of what Jesus said. If you love me, which you all just said you did, you will keep my commandments. So as we go through those doors and into the world, we heard a lot of things today where we can keep his commandments. And one of them would be what we saw in Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. I suggest that we all look at those again, being patient with another, each other, being kind and all that. Go in peace.